But anyway, we are in 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to pick it up around verse 29 this morning is where we left off last time. And, you know, the resurrection is important, and this is the second part of that. It's a very long chapter, 58 verses, but, you know, um, uh, I definitely enjoy this latter section. Um, you know, sometimes you just like to hear the good news, right? Sometimes you just like to hear the uplifting stuff and not necessarily, you know, all the theology behind it and the reason why and how it all works and everything. But, you know, you just want to hear what's going to happen. And this is that section that you get to do that, and I really enjoy it. So uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we'll pick it up uh, there in chapter 15. Father, we do thank you again for this time that we get to come together to... Lord, look into your word. We thank you for the time we get to come and, and worship you, Lord, and set our hearts right before you, Lord, and then uh, to hear from you through your word. And we know you've preserved it with us in mind, Father. And as it sits in our laps before us, Father, we ask that you would speak to us in the way only you can. Just bless this time. Bless uh, your word, Lord, as it goes forth by your spirit, Father, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we left off last time. If you want to just scan your eyes up a little bit in verse 20. Now, Jesus, uh, no, I'm sorry, now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so we talked about how Jesus was the first fruits and the offering. Remember, he, um, first fruit of the resurrection, what we're talking about. And, and remember, the, you know, the great illustration to uh, what the Old Testament um first fruits feast was it you literally brought your first fruits and you would bring in from the field the first ripened you know grain uh, whatever it might be the first is coming out and you would take that and you would offer it to the lord it would be an offering and it was in faith that you were giving it to him that more was going to come just like resurrection you know jesus is the first and in faith there's more to come right it was a great illustration of that and then verse 26, we've, we kind of wound it up pretty close to that. It says, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And again, we talked about why do we as believers, you know, fear death? Should we fear death? And, and remember, again, death is just a change, not an end. Uh, some people like to put it, it's moving day. I mean, most of us wouldn't fear moving unless we look at our garages, and then we might fear moving, right? Oh, i got to move that. But, but you're right, you know, sometimes moving, in most times, not all the time, but, you know, it's like an adventure. Wow, we're going to someplace different, someplace new. We're getting, a, you know, a different place, whatever like that. And, you know, we, um, you know, you typically wouldn't have fear associated with that, although that illustration I know can break down pretty quickly. But... But again, it's just uh, the idea, it's just moving day, you know. Uh, should we fear death? Well, he is going to destroy death. It has no power. And for us, we know what the Bible teaches. It's just, it's not an end, it's a change. And it's hard not to pick up the influences of the world, you know, when everything around you, and, and even in our own minds, the comfort of knowing everything around us, even though it may be miserable and not good, it's what we know. And you know, to, to realize that this is, as believers, as a Christian, this is the worst it's ever going to get, <laughs> right? It only is going to get better uh, as we move on in our life and, of course, as we head into eternity. And so, again, uh, we, 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 shouldn't, we don't fear and we shouldn't fear like 
like people that don't know the Lord and are very unsure what's going to come next. And again, as we've been talking about, and Paul's been talking to the Corinthian church, um, and remember there were some that didn't believe in the resurrection, not all of them, but there, wasn't, there was enough of them that he had to address it. And he was ex- addressing and speaking all that, and then we kind of pick it up in verse 29, not maybe the best place to stop, but he, you know, he, his argument has been, hey, you know, the resurrection of the dead, here's all the proof, and, and if there's no resurrection, you know, why am I doing all this? Why, why all this is going on? He's going to be talking about that. And then he asks him this question in verse 29. He says, otherwise, what will they do who, bap, uh, do who are baptized for the dead? And if the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? Now, he is saying this, okay, guys, um, if there's no baptism, um, you know, uh, uh, He's not making a doctrine here. He's just making a point, right? You know, it's easy to see because he uses the word they. It's not what we do. What will they do uh, when they, who are baptized? Why do they baptize for the dead? It wasn't a practice, obviously, he was talking about in the church or, or with them. He's talking about they. He's talking about the non-believers, the pagans. You know, even those guys do some sort of you know, baptism uh, t- for, the, for the dead in, in, in their ceremony somehow. Um, again, you know, some people do look at this as talking about the death picture in, ba- in baptism, but I don't think so. It doesn't really fit here, and he wouldn't use the word they if, if that's what it was sp- talking about. I, I think it's pretty clearly that he's making a point, and again, not a doctrine. Um, here. He goes, well, why would anybody even do that? Not that we do it, but we know those that do do it if there wasn't any resurrection. I mean, even those guys get that. I think that's kind of the point he's making here. Even those pagans, even those unbelievers have a, a, a sense and, and a, a knowledge of resurrection. And you guys, how much more should you guys? And yet you're not. And again, uh, he, he's making a point and not a doctrine. Um, but there are those who take this because it is so strange and it seems so weird because baptism for the dead and who baptizes from the dead and what's that all about? Well, obviously, it wasn't a point he was making or any sort of teaching or making some sort of doctrine here. Now, we know the Mormons do that. This is their big verse on baptizing for the dead. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I like this quote, you know, someone said about... Um, well, Philip said about the Mormons who take this verse out of context. He said, The Mormons are constantly doing work for the dead by compiling genealogies of their ancestors and other notables and then being baptized for them. The Mormons are very serious about all this. One Mormon admitted to me, he adds, that he had been baptized over 5,000 times for the dead. And so, again... Um, you know, here again, you know, they've, they've taken doctrines and made it all kinds of crazy and, uh, uh, you know, they baptize. And, and you know, almost any of those genealogical, you know, uh, record uh, programs or apps or anything like that, you know, tracing your, your genealogical record usually has roots in more, uh, uh, some, in the, some Mormon group or some Mormon person you know, started this or that, because they do trace their lineage back and say, I'm going to, ba- you know, be baptized for, you know, my great-eight uncle Ralph and my great-great-great-great 
Aunt Susie or you know, grandparent or something like that, as if baptism in some way in Scripture taught that you could be saved by baptism, right? <laughs> the whole thing is just so far off from Scripture. But, but again, I, I point that only because you know, some people do take that way out here. But, but the point is, and what Paul's making here, is not to make anything other than the point that even the pagans believe in resurrection in some form. How much more should you guys, right? And that's why he uses this illustration and just making a point here, nothing more than that. And uh, I point that out only because you will run into it once in a while um, in your travels. So then Paul goes on uh, uh, to him, if you know, speaking about himself, if there wasn't a resurrection, then verse 30, uh, and why do I stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in which you have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If, in the manner of men, I have fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So, you know, now Paul's switching to his life. Look at me. He said, you know, uh, why would I have fought so much persecution and so much trouble in life and in, you know, just in general and in sharing the gospel, uh, why would I do that? You know, why would I put my life in daily jeopardy um, to do this if there wasn't any resurrection? If this was all that life was made up with, he said, we should just eat, drink, and, and be merry because this is all we have and then it's all over with. It would be ridiculous to to put any sort of risk on your life, if this is all we had, to shorten it one minute, right? If this is all you had, shortening it by one minute, it just has a big impact on you. And I wouldn't certainly have done that. And again, you know, we could just see how much, just as a note, how much Paul's life was in danger. And at various times, again, it was just, you know, touch and go whether he survive it or not survive it. And then something interesting, even though he's making the point that I just made, but it's interesting that he tells us something new. You know, fighting beasts is a new one. Now, when we get into 2 Corinthians, he's going to go through chapter 11, and he's just going to lay it all out, what he's done, what has happened to him, and, and all this. And we're going to get a lot of information. But, you know, beasts, fighting beasts is a new one. Now, was he thrown to the lions? It's, it's possible. I, I kind of think more the way he says it, it's, he was attacked on the road, maybe. In other words, you know, traveling from city to city or traveling to Ephesus um, or from Ephesus, you know, he was met with a maybe a mountain lion, we call it today, or, you know, a puma or whatever, or some sort of attack was could have gone on. It seems to be, to me, that makes more of what he's talking about here. So why would I put myself in that kind of situation or, you know, because I'm preaching the gospel, I was actually put before wild animals, which, which the Romans would do, and the Roman Empire would do. Um, you know, we talked a lot about, well, in the past, about, you know, uh, Christians being thrown to the lions in the Roman Empire or to wild beasts, all sorts of things, just to watch them attack them and die. That was sport for the Romans. So, you know, certainly maybe he faced something like that. Or Why, why would I do that, though? The point is, why would I do that if there wasn't, a resurrection. And, and if everything we have is bound to this earthly life, why would somebody 
in their right mind, again, do any of this? Why would anybody want to endure all this? Their motive should be, let's party and have a good time because we don't know how long it's going to last. And so, uh, you know, we, we, we got to live to the fullest right now. And of course, it shouldn't shock you that that's the way people look today, right? You go, how could they do that? How could they, you know, sleep around so much? How could they just be constantly, you know, at a bar all the time? Or in California terms, how could they be at the pot, sh- the, the cannabis shop, you know, every other day? Uh, you know, how could they be doing all this kind of stuff? Well, because they have that, that's, that's what's going on with them, right? They, they, they have, this is all I have. I might as well enjoy it to the fullest, right? And people that, live that way, it should be very clear to us that that's all, everything is, is that I have and done and what I'll receive is bound to this life, so I might as well get the most out of it. So when you see that, you shouldn't get you down like, why would they sin like that? Or why would they want to live that way? Or why would they want to think that way or act that way or do that? I mean, why? And then, you know, you just got to look back and here's because they don't believe on anything uh, you know, this life is all that they have. And so they got to cling to it so desperately. And then it kind of makes sense. And then you don't really correct them on their sin because it's quite frankly, it's just kind of a, a fool's errand, really. If you think about it, oh, why are you doing this? Or why are you doing that? That's, you know, the symptoms of what their heart is. There's nothing more than this life. And rather than try to, well, you shouldn't do that and you shouldn't do this and this is what you should do. Reformation is not going to get anybody to heaven, but transformation is. And so we we get to the heart of the problem and say, okay, I look at this person and they're living that way and that makes sense from their perspective. So what I need to do is change their perspective and let them realize there is more than this life. And so I get to the heart of the issue and I ask them, what happens after you die? You know, and, and get to the heart of the issue and talk about eternity and, and open up their eyes that they might see that this life isn't all there is. And then all those other things will take care of themselves, of course, as they give their life to the Lord. And, and we don't have to, you know, again, address all the sin problems. We just the heart problem. And you could see why they live that way. Well, back to our story here. So, so why would I do all this? if there wasn't a resurrection. And then he tells him this in verse 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And again, at first this might seem out of place, and maybe we've heard it quoted so much, and I have quoted it so much in a number of different areas, but again, just to get back to the context of what this, this is, and it's not out of place. You know, he's, he's reminding the Corinthian believers, as we talked about last week, that you've allowed some terrible influence from the people of this world to, to move you from this great knowledge of resurrection into there is no resurrection. You know, you've allowed those the philosophers and the Greek teaching of the day and all those kind of things about there isn't any resurrection and they made fun of it. Remember when Paul was in Athens preaching it, you know, the heart of all that stuff was just, 
you, you know, it was, it was foolish to, to a lot of those philosophers and that whole way of thinking. And they either, either allowed those kind of philosophers to influence them, some in the church, or it could have been, uh, or both, from the liberal Jews, like the Sadducees, who didn't believe in resurrection, you know? Maybe these Jews came through, and a lot of the Christians in the early days of the church, you know, I think in their own minds, because they were so far away from Israel, and probably know so much, but they realized that Jesus was a, a Jew, and, and the Jews, you know, were, were, were the disciples, and, you know, the apostles, and some of these great early pillars of the faith were Jewish, when a Jewish person maybe came through town, you know, they maybe in their own mind, you know, as we can do at times, think that there were some, you know, great representation or representative of God, when in fact they were, you know, these Sadducees type of type of people, and they have allowed uh, evil company to corrupt good habits. You've allowed this influence, and however, wherever it came from, that is, you've allowed this into your life, and it's gotten you way off track. That's the point here. These people, he says in verse 34, you know, uh, don't have a knowledge of God. And if they don't have a knowledge of God, why in the world would you allow their influence in your life? (laughs) But... You know, this is nothing new, right? It it happens today. You know, people make friends with people in the world that just have no knowledge of God. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have friends that aren't believers. I I certainly think, you know, we should, uh, you know, to a certain degree as an influence and an impact on their life. Um, But again, we always need to be careful that those don't influence us in the wrong direction, those that are not believers, and whether it's people that we love and we know, uh, you know, close family members and, you know, people that we've known maybe our whole life, we, you know, if they have no knowledge of God, uh, we just can't allow them to influence us. We need to be the influencer to them. And, and sadly, I, I have seen, you know, a number of, of Christian youth that were, you know, faithful at going to church and, you know, being a part of a youth group when they were in college or when they were in high school but then when they went off to college, you know, they, they would come back and they would allow the terrible influences of university professors, which are probably the, well, I don't want to say the worst of the worst, but they're pretty close. And I'm throwing them all in a big basket. Obviously, there's some probably great Christian, but it's the minority to say the least. And certainly the whole direction of, of college systems is, is on the very, very, you know, uh, uh, outside hostile towards Christians. It it, it is on the whole. Now, there's some great Christian colleges that aren't certainly that way, but, you know, as a whole, that's over there. And so they allow that, all that influence from all these professors and all the other students and all the other things that they're around, they're swarming, and then they, you know, their, you know, their faith just kind of is swallowed up by that, 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 you know, bad influences, you know, uh, become corrupting. And so we, we just always need to be careful of that because we're in the world and that's always a, you know, a risk that we allow those things to influence us and we need to be careful. And basically what Paul is saying is be awake to righteousness, right? Verse 34, not sin. These that don't know God, how can they be trusted? And you trusted them and it's to your shame. You know, it, it's, it's to your shame. Look at you. You're now you're doubt- Some of you are doubting the resurrection. Well, now we get on here, 
Paul kind of anticipates the question, okay, well, if there's a resurrection, how does it work? And I I love this, because this is, you know, if you want to know about resurrection, you want to know about what it's going to be like, what's going to happen, you know, really verse 35 through verse 58 really gives us some great detail. So in your own mind, you know, if you want to just kind of make a mental note, I don't know, that's how I work. You can make any kind of note you want, however it helps you to remember. But when you think resurrection, one of the great chapters that you should, you know you can go to is 1 Corinthians 15. And particularly the latter half gives us uh, some more uh, details of that, although the whole chapter is, you know, is all about that. But from this on, specifically, again, he anticipates, well, how's it all going to work? If it's true, how's it all going to work? And this is what he says, verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow, that body shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat, or some other grain. But God gives it a body as He pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh from men, another kind, uh, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. And there are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and one glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So how does the resurrection work? And so Paul just goes right into this great example of think of a farmer planting seeds. Now, you, you put into the ground, and, and, and again, you don't have to be a farmer. You, most of us do that at some point anyway. You put the seeds into the ground, and that seed is not alive. It's not green. It's not taking uh, carbon dioxide out of the air and, and through you know, the chloroform and, and all that and making uh, nutrients for a root system and to support a plant life and leaves and all that kind of It's not. It's just dead as a doornail, right? But when you put it in the ground, um, and again, uh, it it comes up and it's alive, right? It's it's different than the seed, but it's really, you know, it's still tied to the genetics, we'd say, of of the seed. Um, You you know, I, I like to pass on... To my children and everything, I say, you know, when we buy flowers here, I always tell them, or they've asked in the past, you know, I said, well, Dad, why are you always picking the flowers off off the plants? And I said, well, when the flowers start dying, um, I said, the, the plant, what its job is, is to put all its energy into the flower so that it might produce seed, and, and then all that energy just drains the plant of life, which is why you have annual, uh, annuals, right? They come and they die. Uh, particularly on those annual plants, right? They put so much energy into that and, and then, you know, the seed drops. So I said, if I nip them before they continue to put all their energy in, it'll flower some more. It'll flower some more because it, its job is it wants to make seed, right? It wants to make this and I'm, I'm, I'm trimming those off and it'll usually bloom for quite a while longer if you catch it that way. 
And, and so again, you know, you know, he's saying that it, because it puts all the energy and the plant dies in producing the seed, um, and, and then you have the seed, but if you plant in the ground, what's going to come forth is alive. And he said that's the way it works on plants. You sow a seed in the ground, and the plant which comes from it, you know, uh, again, there's continuity there. It's, 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 it's like the seed. It possesses, possesses, as we say today, the genetics of the seed, but it is gloriously and evidently different. You look at the plant, you look at the seed, and you go, they don't look anything alike, right? Now, apply this to the resurrection, right? Uh, think about this in the resurrection. You have the old body, and, and, and you have the new body. Now, there, are some, there is some similarities to it, but it is an, a wonderful, you know, glorious difference. Um, the kids had this uh, first grade teacher, Miss Camburn, who every year gave these bulbs. Remember the bulbs she'd always send home? And, you know, it was always a great picture. She uh, used to give them those Easter, they're not Easter lilies, they're something else. I can't remember the name of them. But, you know, she always used to teach this great illustration about, uh, you know, about coming to life and the resurrection in her own way to first graders. But, you know, this bulb is just this seed and, and watch because these are the, these are the ones that, uh, that sprout out and flower around uh, resurrection or, or Easter. And so she would use that great illustration to these first graders, which obviously I caught on, <laughs> right? And we did, you know, and then these bulbs would sprout and they look dead and then all of a sudden this green thing would come up and then this beautiful flower would come up and it was a great picture of the resurrection so something that's just dead this bulb it's not doing anything it's not producing you know anything and then all of a sudden it's springing up to this beautiful plant and this beautiful flower and, and again that's what he's talking about here now verse 38 tells us again let, look back at that he says but god gives it a body as he pleases and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, for there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. So, you know, here, there's different types of bodies or seeds, and not everything is the same. So now he's kind of transitioning into even the animal world, right? Now, it's just, you know, again, it's one of those things that, you know, modern science is is catching up with biblical principles because, you know, just think about it, you know, when was DNA really understood? And they're still trying to understand it today. But I think, you know, it wasn't more than 20 years ago that they did the genome. Is it 30 years now? I forget when they did the 20. Okay, So it was not very long ago that we, we actually deciphered and understood, you know, the, the, you know, how DNA works. But basically that's what he's saying right here. You know, some, uh, you know uh, something we didn't know to recently. You know, plants, animals, they have, uh, have different DNAs. Now, some of those DNA differences, particularly between us and animals, are like just small little, I don't even want to say minute, but it is pretty close to that, differences that make it an, an animal or, or a person. And even plants and people aren't necessarily that far apart. Um, in, in one sense, but everything is distinct. <laughs> I, I like that because that's what it's saying here. There are distinct types. People will be resurrected. And he's saying there's one type of body and God gives it to each one he wants. And he's talking about the resurrection of people. And, and again, um, 
you know, because there's always this question among Christians that, you know, well, should I be cremated? You know, how will God give me a resurrection body if, you know, if I'm cremated? Maybe I should be buried in the ground, you know, and or, you know, maybe I should be laid uh, in a tomb. Where I, you know, I like Jesus and all the Old Testament kind of people and what the Jews do, you know, and just be laid to rest in there. And, you know, you know, I preserved a little longer. Um, you know, I, I, you know, my family have done either one of those is buried in the ground. My grandparents were the only one kind of laid like in a tomb, you know, uh, a crypt, if you would. They opted for that, um, kind of for this reason, to be honest with you. But but again, you know, how can this all happen? You know, well, you're, what's better? You know, first of all, we're talking about God, and He has no problem of, um, you know, uh, whether it's a rapid process by um, by burning the body through cremation or a slower process as the worms eating your body and degrading into, into, into nothing, into dust, into dirt, through buried in the ground or a slower process through a crypt or something like that, it, you know, it doesn't matter, you know. Um, and again, this illustration kind of breaks down, but, you know, how much DNA does it, do, do we really need to really get the person, right? In forensics, even in the police, right? They're, they're looking for a hair or a little skin cell, and then they can put together the, the DNA, right, of, of the person and, and match it and say, oh, it's this person's DNA because we have it on file. They, they, they need hardly anything. And, and I know it's God and it breaks down at some point, but just kind of flow with the thought here. You know, what does God really need to give you a resurrection body that comes from, in some sense, the seed of this human body, right? The body we have right now. Well, he doesn't need a whole lot, right? And, and again, um, you know, I, I, just to give us some sense of what he does and how he puts it together, we have this resurrection. We have, everybody has its own kind of flesh, own kind of body, whether it's a plant or different kinds of animals or, or people, right? There, there is a little bit difference here. But, but the point is, um, you know, this earthly natural body is fallen, it's temporal, it's imperfect, it's weak. And as we'll see, a heavenly spiritual body is eternal and perfect and powerful in every way. And, and that's what he's trying to point out. We, you know, when it dies, it's going to sprout out to something glorious. It has some similarities to our earthly body, but it'll be glorious. And then everybody has their own, their own type of body, if you would, but... For people, we get this resurrection. And then verse 40 says there are also you know, celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of a celestial one uh, is one, and the glory of a terrestrial is another. And the glory of the sun and the glory of the moon and a glory, another glory uh, of the stars. And, for, uh, and one star differs from another in glory. Um, I like how the New Living Translation puts this, and maybe it helps us to understand that portion a little bit better. He says... There are also bodies in the heavens and the bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and the stars have another kind. And even the stars differ from one another in their glory. So he even talks about there's different bodies or structures in the universe. You have the sun, you have moon, you have these distant planets or stars or different suns or different galaxies and all that's involved in all those things. And, you know, and each one is suited 
um, for its own glory, if you would. Each, each one is suited for its particular environment and its needs within that environment, right? And it, it does different things. And he's saying just look up in space. Everything is equipped for what it needs to be for where God has placed it and put it. And again, he's saying there's different kinds of glory in those things. There's beauty found there, there's wonderful found in there, and there's doing all this. Now, in the same way as man is resurrected into this new body, we know that God has said many times, and I'm sure Carl's going to cover this when we go through it in the next few weeks, you know, there's going to be a day where the, you know, the heavens are going to be gone, the stars, the uh, sun, and the moon, and, and and, and everything is going to be remade by God. You know, he's going to give them, if I can put it in these terms, a new body. He's going to redo all that. You know, and not only are we going to get these new, as believers, these resurrection bodies. And, and by the way, unbelievers get an eternal body as well. It's just equipped for a different place. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we, he's going to redo everything. And not just us. And, and then... He's explaining that in these verses. And then verse 42, he says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, and it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. So he talks about all these things, and everybody has its own you know, specific genetics, if you would, of the things that we have here on earth from plants and animals and all that and people. And then he goes out into the stars and said they have their unique you know, glory as well and made. And then he comes back now to people, right? And he says, okay, this is what our resurrection body is going to look like for us. And he's going to really do a... A great contrast here, right? He gives us four contrasts uh, between our present body and our future body. And when we read that, we can see how much greater the spiritual body is than this earthly body, right? You know, uh, corruption, uh, you know, incorruption wins uh, corruption, glory. Uh, you know, is so much greater than dishonor. Power is so much <laughs> greater than weakness, right? Spiritual over the natural. He, he just gives the, the, the complete, really, opposites of the human body to the resurrection body. Now, again, I'm not exactly sure how it all works out. I'm just glad because, you know, aren't we glad that there is a lot of things that we're going to be glad that we get shed from this body when we get our spiritual body, right? You were just talking about pain as you were sitting down there, right, Carl? It's just, oh, you know, it's hard, you know, hard to get on and off the sofa. I feel the same way, right? You know, there, that, that's one thing I'm happy to give uh, uh, and to see go in this body, right? Um, pain, uh, heartache, age, disease, uh, injury. Uh, even for me, uh, sleep 
and hunger. I, I, I love to trade those things in. Now, some people like to eat, some people like to sleep, and, you know, God's going to give you, obviously, what we all need. But, uh, you know, I, I personally like to give all that up and not have to be tired and not have to eat. I'm just not, you know, food isn't that exciting for me. I, I do it, you know, not that I don't like certain foods, but, you know, I... I guess we can all agree on pain and <laughs> we should go there, right? Heartache, age, disease, injury, and all those kind of things. It's all going to be gone. I mean, the resurrection body is something we should be excited about and really look forward to. And, and you know, because it comes obviously with a new environment, uh, you know, as we get this body, we get this new environment uh, where eventually sin will be no more and, and all that, of course, there's some steps in between there, but essentially that's where we're going to get. It's going to head that way, and it's gonna, we're going to get rid of so much, so much. And when you start really thinking about it, really, what, what is there that you, know, you really want to hold on to in this body? It, it's, it's a short list. Uh, there's a lot we'd like to shed, and what great joy this brings. And, and, and we're reminded how much greater the spiritual body is than this earthly body. So he gives us that great contrast. And then he'll say in verse 45, And so it is written, The first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Obviously talking about Jesus. However, the, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of earth, made of dust. Adam, obviously. The second man is the Lord, from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are made of dust. And as, and as is the man, heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. I, I you know, I, I can't think how it can be explained clearer than right here. You know, today we have a natural body, and it is suited for this environment. It was, it was created by God through Adam, and, you know, we have all those, you know, attributes, if you would, of what was given to man. But again, death and the curse came in, and we're all, we're all uh, almost all of us are going to be set to turn back into to that dust that we were made. And he was the first. The natural came first. This body came first. But then he goes on to, uh, you know, uh, there was a second. There was the Lord. And it was the spiritual body now that we're going to be getting. The spiritual came next. And it's, it's made alive now in, uh, in bearing the image of the heavenly man or of Jesus. So just think of that. I mean, it's just a picture. Is like, okay, yes, we're born into humanity. But... Our decision to have Jesus as our Lord and Savior and moving into, you know, a faith of the heavenly man, Jesus. Now what we have here is we have that heavenly spiritual body that uh, is of the heavenly man, Jesus. We get the same spiritual resurrected body uh, and, and that's suited for the spiritual environment. And again, when we think of those things, think of what Jesus was on earth doing when he had his spiritual body. Which, in some degree, we'll have as believers, and we'll finish cover that here just in a minute, 
But, you know, what would Jesus do? He, was, he, he could move from place to place very quickly. It seemed like he could be on the road to Emmaus and then, you know, be over here, uh, you know, an instant. He could be there and he could be there. So he could move from place to place, um, you know, uh, in, in a seemingly an instant. He, again, we talked about last time, he could go through walls, uh, solid matter, we would say, and he'd be uh, in a locked room. He could peer inside the room, even though there was no way of getting in. He could also eat food, but he could be touched by the disciples and again, eat with them. But he wasn't bound by the laws of nature, we would say. You know, he was outside the laws of nature. So all those things that, you know, we say are natural laws seemingly don't apply to the spiritual body which is pretty awesome. And it says we shall have the same body as he has or the same body as the heavenly man. But again, it's so important to understand that we have to be born into his family just as we're born into Adam's family. We're born and we have this natural body and the same process we have to be born into the spiritual body into the spiritual family if you would and again we talked about that last time but that's what you know being born again is all about and that's why it's so important it's it's a birth into this family it's it's an election it's something you choose now you couldn't choose your natural birth Uh, it, it came through natural processes but this is not a natural process this is a supernatural process and one that God gives, you're right, you're bound to the body, but you're not bound to it spiritually. You can change that and be a new creation in Jesus Christ. You're not a slave to that. Yes, you were born into it, and you may not have any control over a lot of things, but you do have certainly control over your spiritual life and whether you choose to have that through what Jesus did on the cross. And if we do... We will bear his image or have his spiritual resurrected body. Now, Philippians 3.21 says the same thing, and I'll, I'll put it up there. It says, but who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And so again, he kind of reminds the Philippians of the same thing. You know what? We're born into his family, and we're going to bear his image, and therefore we're going to get a spiritual body that is uh, from him, from this heavenly man, Jesus. And he reminds us in verse 50, Now I say uh, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruptions. Um, again, th- these bodies aren't, designed for eternity, and you can't get into eternity uh, without the Lord and without the right spiritual body, right? So, again, uh, this is one of those verses, if you'd like to underline those things as well, you know, just being a good person, because if you ask people in the streets of our town today, you know, will you go to heaven, or how does a person get to heaven, Uh, 90 plus percent, I believe, would say, well, as long as you're a good person or you have a good heart, that's all that you need, a good attitude. You know, you're helping out people and you're, you're just a nice person and you're good. Well, good isn't good enough, right? And a good heart just is not going to cut it. 
again, for those not born into this heavenly spiritual body, they get an eternal body that's equipped for another place, which we know is hell. Now, everybody's going to get an eternal body. Uh, and uh, um, there, there's no question about that because our souls live on in eternity. And either you go to heaven where God is and everything of Him, or you go to this place called hell, which is the opposite of everything, or it lacks everything of the presence and nature of God, right? Love, hate, uh, joy, um, misery, uh, peace, uh, restlessness, you know, pleasure, pain, right? You'd see the opposites of all that, right? Who God is and what it's like in His absence, if you would. And, and again, it just shows that you know, flesh and blood can't do it. You just can't do it on your own, and you the corrupt can't inherit the incorruptible. It's just something you just can't do by yourself, right? We have to uh, be born into that family, into his family. And now, put your seatbelts on. Stay with me here. We're going to finish off this last little bit because we get some great insight and information about us. And this, our spiritual body, how will it happen? How does it work out? Verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So here now, we get this great insight here that Paul tells us that not all Christians will die. There will be this final generation who will be transformed into these resurrection bodies at the return of Jesus before they first they face death. May that be us, <laughs> right? Uh, maybe, I, you know, uh, what a great thing, right? You know, there's this final generation. They're going to be instantly transformed from this body to the resurrection body. And, and this, you know, again, this remarkable instant gathering of Christians into Jesus in the cloud has been called the rapture. And again, that's a, a Latin word for being caught up that we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 18, right? So, you know, we get caught up in these clouds uh, into the clouds to be with Jesus, and that rapture in First Thessalonians 4, uh, 15 through 18 talks about it. And, and I like this quote that talks about it. Maybe that um, will help us a little bit. He said, There will be a day when, in God's eternal plan, He gives those dead in the Lord their resurrection bodies. And then, in an instant, He gathers all His people to meet Jesus in the air. All the redeemed on the earth at that time will rise to meet the Lord in the clouds and they will receive their resurrection bodies. And again, how wonderful that will be. And again, you might ask, okay, what happens to somebody that dies before this day? And Paul in 2 Corinthians, which we'll get to next, uh, next book we go into in chapter 5, you know, he says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the dead in Christ before this event, you know, have some sort of spiritual body, but they're awaiting their final resurrection bodies. Because we know to be absent from the Lord is to be 
uh, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we know if you die here before this event takes place, you will be in heaven. Now, you don't get your final resurrection body until Jesus comes back in the clouds and calls everybody up that's living, that's believer, and all the dead. Everybody gets their final resurrection body. But until that point, we're not really told what sort of body we're going to have, but it is going to be some sort of spiritual body because we're going to be with Jesus in heaven at that point. And, and again, um, it's back to the whole point Paul's making here, you know, resurrection is a must for the Christian destiny. And how could, in light of all this, how could the Corinthian church let go of such an important truth? How could they let go, you know, back to the context of where we are, how could they let go of this? But I can, I'll say the same thing, you know, we can't either. We need to remember these things. We need to look forward to this resurrection. And he does give us some details about how it's going to work out and, and when it's going to work out and, 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 the, and the process of it. And we can see from Jesus' resurrection body some of the things that we'll gain, although it's just a handful of things. And then when he remakes the world, I don't know if it changes you know, even more so. I assume it will. But again, these are such great important truths and such encouragement to look forward to, how could you abandon any of these things? And we just can't either. We can't allow the world who wants to live for today and go for all of it while you have the time and, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins kind of attitude and all that kind of stuff. You know, um, we just can't allow that, that evil influence to be in our lives. And, and we need to be encouraged by the resurrection. And let's finish with this. And so, verse 54, when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And it's, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in that final day when things are made right, death is no more. These bodies are no more. And death has no power over the person found in Jesus Christ. That, that's the important thing and that's what they've lost. It has no power. And I ask it. You know, should we sorrow at death? Should we fear death? You know, the question I asked at the very beginning. No, because again, there is no sting in death because he has given us victory. And death is literally moving day or the day we go before the Lord. And, you know, and then he, he, he at the right time is going to give us our final spiritual body. And I don't know how it's going to be modified between the two, but we're equipped for eternity in some sense, when we go to see Jesus, we die before His coming, and then He gives us that final resurrection body. And therefore, because we're in Jesus Christ, death doesn't have any power or any sting to it, if you would. But for those not in Jesus Christ, death has a sting, to say the least. And you notice we are no longer subject to the penalty of, law, of the law, the Old Testament, because the punishment for sin and disobedience, you know, it, it, there, there, there's a punishment. It's death. And we're free 
from sin because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and paid for our sins. And so all that law, all that you know, foreshadowing of picturing what the Messiah was going to do and get rid of death is all done away with. It's done. It's gone. That has no power over us anymore. You have to pay for your sins because that's what a holy God demands. You did this. This is the consequence for that. Well, it's been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have His righteousness given to us. And because of that, he says in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So again, because of all these things, we love, we live, we serve, and we remain steadfastly immovable in the Word of God. And our life in Christ, we know that all that we do for the Lord is going to be recognized by Him and rewarded. It's not in vain. This is these in things that we do and, and how we love and how we serve and how we stay faithful in the in, in, the, in the difficulties and the tests and the, the influences of this world and influences of our own you know, thoughts and this and that. You know, we reign steadfast in the Word and we know that our life in Jesus is assured and we know that we have this eternal uh, place for us with this eternal body and that you know, it's, it's in vain. It's not in vain. It's, it's going to be rewarded and recognized by our Heavenly Father. And therefore, we should be encouraged by all of this and the resurrection and look forward to it with great joy and anticipation. Amen? Amen. Father, we do thank you for this time in your word, Lord. And, you know, so much could be said in this chapter. We could have taken weeks to go through it all, Father. But, you know, uh, sometimes we miss the forest through the trees. And, and Lord, we just ask that, Lord, we would just always be firm in our in our in our understanding and our foundation of how important the resurrection uh, body is and how, you know, how, impo uh, how important the resurrection is and the body that we get and all that we have to look forward to because what we have here is, 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 is just so much, it's just hard to compare the two. It's so much better and what you have planned for us. We'll be free of so many things that we're bound by on this earth, Lord, and when you choose to give us that new body and bring us into your eternal heavens and creation, Lord, um, it just it can't even be compared. As a matter of fact, I don't even think it's remembered because it's so so vastly different, Lord. And, and again, help us to stand firm in that encouragement and that knowledge, Lord, and, and spread the good news to people that are just trying to live for today. And boy, it's life has got so many potholes and pits to fall into and things to trip up on and hurts and pains and anguish and all this stuff that to think that this is all that there is 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 a very sad place and lord let's remind them the great hope and the great promises that they have in you and the great love that they have uh, in jesus when he and he came here to die for our sins lord and he was buried and rose again the third day just to to put the big stamp, stamp and seal of approval on, on what Jesus said. And the Lord, help us to always be encouraged, stay steadfast, and be faithful to you, Lord. And, and Lord, one day we'll just be in that glory, and, and, and we look forward to that, that near coming and that time, Father. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Amen, you guys. May the Lord bless your day.